<clears throat> Good evening. I appreciate the invitation to come be with you. Um, as was said, this is my first time here at this church, and uh, I always enjoy going and visiting uh, churches, meeting new Christian brothers and sisters, and I'm thankful for the blessing to be here tonight. Um, unfortunately, my better, the better part of my family is not here. Um, the, uh, my wife and kids are at the Do-Re-Mi Gospel Singing School this week. Um, they went there for the first time last year, and, and my second son, Bryson, got saved. So that's kind of a special place for our family. And uh, quite honestly, I'm hoping that there's three other kids in my family that might get saved down there this week. And I would appreciate if you would uh, join me in praying to that end. Um, so I got I attended uh, Liberty Missionary Baptist Church in Norton, Ohio, from uh, from the crib, and uh, my grandparents were charter members of that church, and my mother attended that church in her youth, and uh, I heard the gospel my whole life. Um, I came under conviction when I was about eight years old, and uh, man, that was a terrible time in my life. Terrible time for about two years. I was as miserable as a person could be, and I sought the Lord. I can't tell you how many times at an old-fashioned mourner's bench like this at the front of Liberty Church, um, I in my bed at, at home at night, I mean, just, it seemed like nonstop for two years, that was the prevailing thought upon my mind and heart was my lost condition. And um, we had a revival there, a weekend revival in 86, uh, May the 2nd of 86, and uh, um, <laughs> all her call was given. I came up to about this part right here on the on the mourners bench, and uh, you know I was so wearied and so tired from those two years of being burdened and seeking the Lord. And I I still remember what I said. You know I, I came to that place where I was just spiritually just just had spent. And I, I said, God, I, I don't care what you take from my life. Take anything. Take my parents. Take my baseball cards. Just save my soul. And I'll tell you, I knew exactly what salvation was at that point. Yeah. God saved my soul. Amen. And it was just like it was just like the sorrows, the burdens, the the trouble, the conviction. It just left. I mean, it was just like like this huge weight off of me. I could literally physically feel the weight leave. And uh, it's been there ever since. <laughs> I was looking at the word abode earlier. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if any man loved me, he'll keep my commandments. I and my father will take up an abode with him. A dwelling place there. And, it, and, it, and the, one of the definitions is a permanent, a permanent dwelling Amen. place. And he has taken a permanent dwelling place up in my heart. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And if you've been saved, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't been saved, you need to know what I'm talking about tonight. Um, the other thing I'll share with you is uh, fast forward from 86 uh, when I was 10, almost 11, to uh, to uh, 2004, January the 7th, 2004. I'd been ordained as a deacon there at Liberty Missionary Baptist Church and uh, was sitting on my couch in the front room of the house that my wife and I lived in at the time. And I said to her, I looked at her and I said to her, what can we do to help spread the gospel in this community? And as soon as those words left my mouth, the Holy Spirit brought on an impression upon my soul and said, preach. And I don't know what my face looked like to her, but I was like inside. I was like, 
that's not the answer that I was looking for. But the Lord called me to preach. And uh, I, I struggled with that for about six weeks uh, before I finally surrendered to that call and um, been trying to uh, preach the gospel ever since. So I felt like that I needed, I owed you uh, the, the testimony of those two experiences uh, standing before you tonight. Uh, open your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I want to take a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then I also want to read one verse from the book of Galatians chapter 5. Those will be our text readings tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 24. 10 through 24, and then uh, Galatians chapter 5, I, I think it's verse either verse 12 or verse 14. We'll look at it when we get there. The Word of God says this, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, uh, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, uh, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, Verse 11, Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And my title tonight is going to come from that last part of that verse. It's going to be the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. Now, we go back to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, and, and uh, the church at, at Corinth had about every problem that a church can have. And... Uh, it was made, uh, like every church, made out of sinful individuals who uh, at times uh, let those sinful tendencies get the best of us. And uh, right off the bat, uh, the first thing that he addressed was the need for unity there in the church. And um, I want to say this tonight, 
Uh, one of the best ways that you can help this revival is to make sure that you are free in the Lord. And that means that you cannot hold a grudge. You cannot be angry at somebody. You can't be upset. Uh, you can't uh, uh, be uh, jealous or envious of someone else. And the, one of the best things that you can do is, if you are feeling that way, is first of all, uh, get in touch with God and ask Him to forgive you for it. And secondly, go to that person and get the, that problem worked out. I wonder sometimes if we aren't some of the biggest hindrances to our own prayers because of our desires to hang on to some of these feelings and emotions that keep us from being able to serve God. You remember in one place the Lord said, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember there uh, that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift, go and make amends with your brother and then come back and give your gift, indicating that his worship was going to be hindered by the fact that he his brother had ought against him. Our prayers are hindered. Our worship is hindered. If we are have uh, at odds with other Christian brothers and sisters. Listen, we there are enough enemies outside the walls of Christendom today, outside the walls of our churches amongst our brethren. We need to be united as churches, as brother, as sister churches uh, in the cause of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more important than that. Nothing. And, I, and if you're if you have something hindering you tonight, I want to encourage you to get that get that right with the Lord, get that right with the Lord. Now, we, uh, we look at the division here and, and, uh, you know, there was different sects, different groups, uh, different cliques here, if you want to call it that, in the church of Corinth. And, uh, my, my personal opinion is that that possibly could have been over the preaching styles of uh, the different preachers. When you look in the Bible, you see a very different preaching style, uh, by the apostle Paul when compared to, let's say, Apollos. The Bible says, uh, in Acts, chapter, I believe it's chapter 18, the end of chapter 18, that Apollos was eloquent. He was an eloquent speaker and mighty in the scriptures. Um, so he was he was a very polished speaker, whereas the Apostle Paul, every time we read about his speech, he says, my speech was rude. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, he says that his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible, which in the Greek means that they didn't think anything of it. They didn't think he was much of a speaker. In chapter 2 here in 1 Corinthians, in verse 1, he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech uh, or of wisdom, uh, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I'll tell you, there's a lot of Christian brothers here tonight uh, that are preachers. And it seems uh, it seems to me like um, that that a lot of times we gravitate towards people who are just like us. And we prefer people who are very similar in their characteristics to us. But uh, what's important tonight when the minister stands is that he's saved, that he's called, and that he's preaching the truth. Amen. That's what's important. Uh, it's not important what he looks like. It's not important uh, what his education level is. It's not important what his charisma is. It's not important what his achievements are, what his speaking ability is. What's important is, is he lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ and praising him and preaching the truth of the word of God. I'll tell you, if God has called the man, then God has a work for the man. And God has called each and every one of us in our unique gifts to proclaim the gospel in the unique gifts that God has blessed us with. Too often we get too caught up 
in those characteristics that I mentioned that really don't matter. And I'll tell you what that does sometimes. It robs the cross of its power. It does. It does. Before I get to that, you know, I love to uh, hear how that uh, Paul says, and I think that he said this for uh, the purpose of of not wanting to further be part of the cause for the division there in the church when he said, I thank God that I only baptized Crispus, Gaius, and the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I don't know if I baptized anybody else. I think he, I think that his purpose there in saying that was, hey, if I would have baptized more people, there would just be more of a division and more of a, a different clique and group here in the church. But what I love about that uh, statement there is that it, that pretty clearly tells me, as a, a very supportive scripture, that baptism doesn't do a thing for saving your soul. You know, Paul said, uh, he said, I'm thankful that I only baptized just a handful of people. If baptism was necessary for salvation, don't you think the Apostle Paul would have said, I want to dunk every single person I can get my hands on. But he said, hey, I, God didn't call me to baptize because baptism won't save you. But he called me to preach the gospel. That's what's important. Carrying the gospel. Getting the gospel message out. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says uh, that Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel in verse 17. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And uh, the phrase there of none effect in an uh, ESB translation, it means uh, emptied of its power. Emptied of its power. The cross has to be the focus. When we point sinners, we point them to the cross. We don't point them to the waters of baptism. We don't point them to the abilities uh, uh, of their own hands and feet and mind and heart, we point them to Jesus. And I'll tell you, uh, when we get to emphasizing oratory styles and different gifts of different ministers, we empty the cross of its power. And when we, when we try to take the offense of the cross away uh, by, by changing terminology, we empty the cross of its power. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not much for at all for the term, except Christ, uh, I don't like that terminology. Uh, I think that uh, it's opposite of what really happens. When I got saved, I didn't accept Christ. Uh, he accepted me. He accepted me. If, if I had to accept him, I wouldn't have been laboring for two years in prayer, burdened down and convicted about my sins. I would have just made the decision and been done with the whole mess, so to speak. Right up there when I was eight years old. But you got to meet God's requirements. When you meet God's requirements, God will accept you. And when we get the terminology messed up, and we, we begin to uh, put a different idea out there before people, we empty the cross of its power. You know, uh, Paul said, uh, he said that uh, in, in the Galatian letter, he was talking, the subject there was circumcision. And uh, there were some in that in, in the churches of Galatia that wanted to go back to that. Uh, these were Jews that had been saved and they were struggling about understanding the difference between Christianity and their Judaism. And they wanted to go back and grab some of those things. And Paul said, you know, circumcision's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, if, if it was something, he said, then why? Why am I not persecuted for promoting for, for circumcision? I'm persecuted because of the cross and promoting the cross. And 
when we we look at uh, things that you uh, false false religions, false religious ideas, where that uh, people are trying to promote that you can do something to get yourself saved, uh, then you have nullified the need for Jesus Christ. If you could. Uh, if you could be baptized or do a work or be circumcised and it do something for you, you wouldn't need the cross. You would not need the cross. And so uh, we need to be pointing people to Jesus. We need to point them to Jesus. But now the cross is very offensive and the cross needs to be offensive. Uh, the, the word offense there means stumbling block in the Greek and also offense uh, means to cause displeasure. Or a degree of anger. To cause displeasure or a degree of anger. And when we look, there are several things that lead up to the cross that are offensive. And they need to be. God designed them to be offensive. He, uh, first of all, He gave us His Word. And His Word is divinely inspired. It has to be divinely inspired or else we know absolutely nothing about God. This Bible is a miracle. And yet we open the pages and in the first three chapters of the first book, we see that the first man and woman had one law and they, uh, of course, broke that law. And when they broke that law, they sinned and uh, judgment came upon them and they were separated from God. And isn't it awesome that in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, in the very beginning, uh, God tells them, you're going to need the cross. <laughs> he tells Adam and Eve, you're going to need the cross. <laughs> but uh, the, the one of the primary concepts that we gather from that account is the fact that all of us, because of Adam's fall, all of us have inherited this sinful nature, this depraved nature. We have all inherited this mentality of lawlessness, uh, this mentality of wanting to break the law, and a rebellious attitude. Can you relate to that tonight? The Bible says that you can. The Bible says that you can. And uh, so there are many today that are offended uh, by the fact that we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam. I've heard people say, well, what, what does Adam have to do with me? Why, why does Adam, why does Adam's sin affect me? And yet in the Roman letter, chapter five, I'm just going to read a couple of phrases to see that the apostle Paul very clearly understood that Adam's sin affected all of us. I'm going to just read a couple of phrases here. I'm not going to read the whole verse. Uh, in verse 15 of chapter five, it says, for if through the offense of one, that's Adam, the sin of Adam, many be dead. For in verse 17, for if by one man's offense, speaking about Adam's sin, death reigned by one, by Adam. Verse 18, therefore as by the offense of one, that being Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. In verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We see very clearly that the concept that you have inherited Adam's sinful nature is biblical and it's truth. But it has offended many. It has offended many today. We move on to the Mosaic law. Uh, God gave Moses 
hundreds of commandments, but the moral law was really only ten. Or the, the I should say the basis for the moral law was ten. And those ten commandments are very offensive. They're very offensive. They have set, God set the standard for righteousness in His law. And then the law, God, God told us, He said, you can't keep it. You can't keep the law. You're, what does the law say to us? The law is very judgmental, isn't it? The law says you're not good enough. Your righteousness is not good enough. Your works are not good enough. Your, uh, your spirituality doesn't meet the standard. Your ability is insufficient to get Amen. you to heaven. The law is very offensive. And it must be. It must be. Because if you don't see the your sin, you will not see your need for the cross and for the Lord Jesus. You have to see. You have to see that you don't measure up to the law. Jesus was the only one that was able to keep that law in its entirety. Jesus, being born of a virgin, did not inherit the sin nature that the rest of us inherited. We go on and we see the Holy Spirit is offensive. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Jesus said in the book of John, when He was given, given a, gave us probably the most instruction that we have about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 about the Comforter. He said that when the Comforter would come, He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit would produce the evidence that would prove that we were guilty. We were guilty of breaking God's law. The Holy Spirit does that. He produces the evidence. Jesus also said, that the Holy Spirit would glorify Him. Uh, that the Holy Spirit would testify of Him. That the Holy Spirit would teach us all things. That the Holy Spirit would bring all things to our remembrance. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to each person that they are separated from God having broken the law and that the punishment for sin is damnation. It's hellfire. I'll tell you, uh, the Holy Spirit gives you a revelation, friend, tonight. He gives you a revelation of what to expect uh, when you die. I'm thankful for to God for that grace. Uh, that we don't have to wait until we die to see what's going to happen and what's going to be there. Uh, but the Holy Spirit very clearly uh, lets us know where we stand before God. Boy, I found the Holy Spirit to be very offensive, convicting me of my sins, troubling me in my heart. I was I was upset. I even got angry. I felt like that I had done everything that I could to get saved, but uh, God was rejecting me. That wasn't true. That was not true. I had not met God's requirement. Amen. Every single person that meets God's requirement, God saves them. Amen. God saves them. 
There's not anybody that's ever met God's requirement of true heartfelt repentance and faith that God hasn't saved. But so often, I think uh, that people go on and they seek the Lord for uh, quite a long time that they begin to, they begin to uh, sometimes blame God for their own uh, deficiencies. Tell you the cross is an intimidating place when you're lost. The cross is a is a a, a painful place, but it it costs Jesus a lot. It costs Jesus a lot. The cross cost him the pain and the suffering. The Bible says that he left the glories of heaven and came into this world, and the whole time. He had uh, the cross on his mind. Uh, he told his parents, even as a young boy, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? He was looking uh, to c- complete the will of the father. The Bible tells us in the temptations in Matthew chapter 4 that uh, Satan was trying to, in those temptations, he was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. If he could tempt Jesus to sin, then Jesus would be disqualified from going to the cross. In that third, in that third uh, temptation, uh, where that he asked Jesus to bow down before him, uh, I believe that he was saying to Jesus, you know, you can bypass the cross. I'll give you the glory right here. But Jesus didn't do that. You remember even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were some that walked by and they had a satanic spirit about them. And one of them said to him, said, if you be the son of God, come down from the cross. (laughs) That's the whole reason he came into the world was to go to that cross. He labored in the garden of Gethsemane in prayer, sweat as it were, great drops of blood being in an anguish. Why? Uh, Because he knew what he was facing at the cross. Uh, but he he endured the cross. The Hebrew writer says he endured the cross despising the shame. But he did that for what? For the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was the salvation of sinners. I'll tell you, when you turn from your sins, when you get as low as you can get, and I believe you have to get there. I had to get there. God's no respecter of persons. That tells me that you had to get there too if you've been saved. And if you're lost, you're going to have to get there. But when you get to the absolute bottom of the barrel and there's nowhere else to go, the only thing you have to do is look up. Then you'll look to the cross. And the cross will become very exceedingly beautiful. It'll be exceedingly beautiful. It's the only place that you can look to for salvation. The only place that you can go is the cross. There's some, there's some wonderful things that happened at the cross. In uh, Philippians, I think it's no, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said this, speaking about the preeminence of Christ. He said, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. 
There was peace that was made available at the cross. Peace between God and a holy God and a sinful humanity. That peace can only be found at the cross. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm not going to go there and read, but Paul says in that chapter, he says that the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile, the, that the middle wall of partition was broken down and that the two of them were brought together at the cross. I'll tell you as a Gentile, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I have access to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, just like you do. In Colossians chapter 3, if you're still there in verse 14, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that they had to do to worship. I'm glad we don't have to do that tonight. I'm glad that we didn't have to bring a bunch of bloody animals in tonight and kill them and cut them up. I'm glad that we don't have uh, that we don't have a, a bunch of uh, uh, ordinances that we have to follow and festivals to give and food to make and all of these things. My goodness, those priests had to be dead tired as much work as they did every single day in lifting up prayers and sacrifices unto God on behalf of the people. I'm thankful that Jesus nailed all of that to the cross. We live in a wonderful time of serving God by the dictates of the Holy Spirit and the glories of the Word of God. <laughs> you know, if you've been saved, how many times do we see in the Bible that the call to discipleship is for the individual Christian to take up their cross and follow Jesus? Take up their cross just as Jesus died and sacrificed his life. Uh, God has called. He has called his people. He has called his people to lay some things of this world down for the cause of the Lord Jesus. There are some things that are lawful for us, but they certainly aren't expedient. They're certainly not expedient for us as Christian people. And God has a work for every single one of us to do in this world that is hard. It's hard. And uh, it's going to take faith in Him. And it's a cross that God has for you to carry. It's your work. Nobody else can carry it for you. There's no Simon of Cyrene to come along and carry your cross for you. You've got to carry it. You know, for... For those that have been called into the ministry, it's kind of obvious what our cross is. Whether it be evangelism, whether it be pastoral work or mission work or whatever. But God has a work for everybody. And that work is equally important. It's equally important. Too often, too often, we get to glory and in the things of this world. But I wanna, I'm gonna close tonight and I'm gonna end with what Paul said that he gloried in. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 14. Paul says, But God forbid 
that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said there's things in this world, they just don't bring me joy like what Jesus did for my soul. I love my Savior. I love the Messiah. I love Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for what He's done in saving me. What a glory that we have tonight. Our glory is not in stuff, materialism, things, achievements, uh, the cares of this world, entertainment, pleasures. Our joy is in what Jesus has done in saving a little old wretch like me and giving me a work and a purpose to carry His Word into the world. He's done that for you tonight if you've been saved. If you're lost tonight, look to the cross. If you're offended tonight by the cross, don't take this the wrong way, but good! Good! What are you going to do with that tonight? So many have been offended by the cross and they have run away from the cross. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. They ran from God in the in the garden, tried to, to cover themselves, hid from God. <laughs> look at the Apostle Paul. He got mad, didn't he? Started grabbing Christian people. The uh, Bible says he's hailing them. Carrying them off to prison. People get mad. They run away from the cross. They get scared. They run away from the cross. Tonight, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to run to the cross. I want to encourage you to do that. God bless you.